0: Well, praise God. If you'll turn on your Bibles to Mark, the ninth chapter, Mark chapter nine, we're going to begin reading over at verse one. Well, last week we were looking at the situation where the disciples, they said, increase our faith. Jesus had outlined for them an area to walk into, an area of forgiveness. And they uh, didn't quite think they were ready to do that. And so they said, well, if we're going to do that, you're going to have to increase our faith. And that's where the question came from. So we started looking at those things that are uh, assigned to us, or God asks of us, that seemed to be impossible, that seemed to be too tough for where we are. We would need something more than what we have. So we started that last week, and last week he was dealing with the area of, of forgiveness and offenses and things like that. But this, this week we're going to go to another one, and in this one, it's a little different from our Luke passage. Over in Luke, he said, this is what I want you to do, and they said, oh, we can't do that, we need more faith. But this one, we're going to look at something that they had already been doing, and then they failed. Have you ever had something go on in your life where you've had victory, maybe in the area of finances? You've had victory in the area of finances, and then all of a sudden you had a financial failure, a failure in the financial area. You've had victory in the area of healing, but then all of a sudden you have failure in the area of healing. And that sometimes can be tough for us because I've walked in the victory. I've tasted the victory. I kind of expect the victory. And then all of a sudden the victory doesn't, isn't there, and I'm not walking in that victory. And so it seems to be that what God has asked me to do is outside of the, the boundaries, outside of the realm of what I can walk in. And how am I supposed to deal with that? How am I supposed to get past that? So that's where we're at here today in, in Mark chapter 9. And there was something uh, last week that I did forget to tell you. And I meant to make a note of it before we came on over here and then we got uh, caught up with a bunch of stuff. So I don't remember exactly what it was, but after I got done, it says, oh, I forgot to get into this and it was pretty obvious. And so I'll see if I remember or else I'll go back and hit it for you next week. But here in Mark chapter nine in verse one, and he said to them, "Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus Rabbi it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles one for you. One for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. You've never talked when you didn't know what to say, did you? (laughs) You just sort of start saying some stuff. So that's what he did. Let's make uh, three tabernacles. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one any more but only Jesus with themselves. Now it's no accident that they start this passage off with, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And then we go on to talk about the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration is the kingdom of God coming down upon the earth. And Peter, James, and John were invited to go up to the mountain. He said that some, he didn't say all, All would have been bringing, he would have brought all 12 of them. He didn't bring all 12, he brought three. So it was some, and they went up on the mountain. Now how do you know that the kingdom of God is there? Well, first off, his appearance changed, and he no longer appeared as the the son of man. He appeared as the son of God. And he was, of course, uh, the, the white and so forth. And the other reason that we know this is because Peter's standing there and opens his mouth. If Peter hadn't opened his mouth, we may not have known this aspect of it, but he's standing there and he identifies Moses and Elijah. Now, no, this is not afterwards he identifies it, gets down off the mountain, and he says, Jesus, who were those other two people there? And, he, Mo, and then Jesus says, that was Moses and that was Elijah. He is saying this here on the mountain. No one has identified Moses and Elijah. They don't have pictures floating around of what Moses looks like and what Elijah looks like. And so when he says this, he knows it because he's in the kingdom of God. Now, when you get in the kingdom of God, you don't need introductions. You won't forget anybody's name. In fact, you'll know people's name that you don't even know. you just walk up to them, oh, hi, and you'll just, you just know who it is. If you want to go up and have a conversation with John, John the disciple, it's no problem. you just walk on through the crowds and you'll say, oh, there's John. You've never met him before, but you'll know him. The same way that Peter, he knows Moses and he knows Elijah. Not because he knew them here on the earth but because he's in the kingdom of God. And these are the things that that happen. In the kingdom of God, God the Father talked to the Son directly. He came with the cloud and he he talked to them directly. So, he says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, verse 2, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. So he changed, that word there, transfigured, that's actually the word we got our word metamorphosis from. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. So he, he became, his clothes became so white, you can't achieve that level of whiteness here on the earth. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Well, of course it is. But if if Peter would have had his wits about him, I think he just would have shut up and tried to listen to what Moses and Elijah had to say. They came to minister to Jesus to get him ready for the, the things that were to come. And he wasn't listening. Now, this is actually Moses, and this is actually Elijah. And if you're wondering, how in the world do Moses and Elijah make an appearance here? Are not they not in paradise or the the other side of Hades, the other side of hell. Aren't they over there? Isn't that where all the believers went to? Well, except for the fact that we know that Elijah didn't die, and we assume that Moses hadn't died yet either, even though his body was buried. What you have basically here is you have the kingdom of God in operation, and in an operation in a really cool way, because what God is able to do, He operates in all times, uh, all at the same time. He can operate in, in all times. So that's why he says a day is like a, a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He's not giving you a conversion table to convert time so that 2,000 years is to him like a day. That's not what he's doing. What he's telling you is there is no time. He, there is no time to him. There is to us, but there isn't to him. So what he does is he goes back into the, into the Old Testament era and he grabs Moses from the mountain, puts him in a chariot and says, we got one stop. Two stops on the way. We gotta pick up Elijah. And so they, they head out over to Elijah's time and then the chariot comes swinging on by and Elijah gets called up into that chariot. And then as they're both up there in the chariot heading on over to the, to the next time that they, they need to be at, they say we got, they've got this stop to make over here in the mountain and they stop at the mountain and they get off and they come on down and minister to Jesus. Now, this is before they're going to be escorted into the tribulation period, and so they minister to Jesus and then they disappear. They go back up in the chariot, whatever it is that he has to, to bring them along, and then he gets sent, they get sent over to the final three and a half years of the tribulation period for which time they will minister for the three and a half years they're protected by God, so they don 't die, even though people try and kill them. they don't die finally. God says, all right, now it's time. And he lets them be killed. They lay in the streets for three and a half days. And they have partying going on. You know, CNN is carrying the the thing. The people we hate are dead. People are giving gifts. The word of God says that people give gifts to each other. But it says all the world sees them. So you got 24 hours of the camera on Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, in the streets, dead. And we just leave them there. Then CNN has their cameras. I'm sure CNN is still going to be operating at that at that uh, opportunity. MSNBC, they're going to have their cameras there too. These are evil uh, evil uh, news outfits. They are certainly going to carry this. And they're going to have this, this on. So all the world is going to be able to see it. Not just the world around Jerusalem. And after three and a half years, God's going to call them back up. They're going to get back into the chariot. Moses is going to head on back to his time. So his body will be buried there and it'll be like it happened in his day because that's how God is. God gets in touch with all time at the same time. That's why he can make prophecies because he sees the events happening in the future as we decide they happen. Not as he decides. As we decide they happen, he sees it. And he says back over in here, well, I'm watching this over here and this is what goes on. And he 's just telling you exactly what happens that 's why his prophecies are so so exact, but anyway that 's not what we 're here to look at. So he opened up his mouth, probably should have just kept it quiet he They were caught up there, not because of what they had to bring to the meeting. Peter, James, and John were not brought into this meeting because of the things they had to offer. They were really just supposed to be there and to listen and be, but they he was talking. I don't know, if you're John, do you go over to Peter and say, hey, shut up. I'm going to hear what's going on. But we didn't get to hear. So there are some standing there. And then six days later, this this goes on. You see, when God is going to lead you into some things, he's going to speak it to you first. He's going to speak some things to you first and say, Steve, this is where I'm taking you. This is what's going on here next. Now see, the devil tries to do that too and he tries to get you ready for, for bad things. Your boss is going to fire you. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. He's going to try and sow these things into you but he's just mimicking what God does. What God does is he speaks to your spirit first to get you ready for it. And he spoke to them first and he said, this is what's going to happen. So they took that over and they mulled on that. Hey, I wonder what that means. We're going to see the the kingdom of God. Does that mean that we're going to be around here when when Messiah becomes the king? And they've been thinking more along those lines than this particular line. But he sowed that into them first. But after the hearing comes the revealing. And then God begins to reveal this thing. And if you heard it right and meditated on it and got yourself ready, when the revealing comes, you're ready to step into it. Now, Peter didn't seem to quite be ready. But he didn't, I guess he didn't really know exactly what to envision, but he's over there talking. Whether, uh, James and John were ready and they were ready to just be quiet and just listen and watch what's going on, uh, we don't know. We didn't, uh, we're, we're not given all that, uh, information. But we had to first off make sure that we were in a good place to be hearing the things God is sending to you. God's going to be sending some things to you. He wants to send them to your spirit. He wants to speak them to you. Make sure you're in a good spot. How do you get in a good spot? Always be listening to the voice of the spirit. Be studying the word of God. Let God speak to you out of the written word of God. That's why you get into the word of God every day. That's why the first thing you ought to do when you get up in the morning is read the word. Meditate on the word. Get that in the first thing. Keep that up. Many of you jumped on board and are doing that. Hope you still continue to do it. But make sure that the word of God is the first thing that you that you read, that you see. Get yourself in that place. And this is what they did here. And then he goes on in verse 9. Now they had been up in the mountain. That means three disciples are up in the mountain with Jesus. Nine disciples are down, not up on the mountain. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they had seen these things, but he says, don't you tell anybody what you saw until the Son of Man is is risen. I imagine that they listened to that and that they did it. Uh, And afterwards, he was able to to go ahead and to to tell that. Now, if you are aware of the disciples, Mark is not one of the disciples. Mark records the gospel of Mark because of what he heard Peter tell him. And so Peter, it, the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter's Gospel. And that's, that's uh, the reason that you'll see this here in this, this place, because Peter knew about it. He said, make sure you write this one down. Now, he, after Jesus died, he probably said, guys, I've been wanting to tell you this for a long time. Remember when you were down there in the bottom of the mountain and we were up at the top? Let me tell you what happened. And so they were able to, to speak that out then. And so the other ones also probably knew. So as they came down from the mountain, he commanded that they shouldn't tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. What does that mean? And Jesus had gone on and said, he's going to die. Three days later, be raised up. And they asked him saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is, is it written Concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt, but I say to you that elijah has uh, has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. So John the Baptist was the forerunner of Elijah. Elijah will actually come, the Elijah will come in the end times. but John the Baptist was a forerunner to Elijah and did a lot of the similar things. That Elijah had done we don't see the miracles that are attributed to to John or you know he doesn't call fire down and all that other stuff but he is the voice before the Messiah comes just as the two witnesses will be the voice before the Messiah comes in so they have this conversation in verse 14 and when he came to the disciples he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them immediately when they saw him all the people were greatly amazed And running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, why are you, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever, or wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. Now you probably never have seen anybody demon possessed where they were foaming at the mouth. I have not seen it myself. I've heard of it. I've heard of it going on, but I, I was never one who actually saw it. And Brother Lester Summerall tells the story When he first got started in ministry on his own, and he was out, uh, one of the foreign countries, he says, you don't have real demon spirits in this country. (laughs) That's what he used to tell us when he came out to school. Uh, but he said other countries that had that. And I'm not sure if it was the Philippines. He had a lot of stories from the Philippines. But it was one of those foreign countries he was in, and it was the first time he was there, and he was in the, in the crowd. Uh, he came on up to the stage, and, uh, he notices one lady up in the front, pew chairs whatever it was that they had there and she just sat there like a like a zombie just staring straight ahead thought that's kind of odd and so the worship went on and as the worship leader began to lead everyone in worship this uh rigid zombie looking uh lady got down off of her seat and began to slither like a snake around the front of the church and he said this green frothy foam came out of her mouth and he saw that, and he said it was, you've never seen anything like that before i 've never seen i 've heard people tell it i 've never seen it myself but he um and this is this is a long long time ago they didn 't have video cameras for the, the the thing you don't you don't get to all that sort of stuff but anyway, this was going on and his his thought was brother Lesters thought was this well surely the worship leader's going to deal with that, mm-hmm. and the worship leader did not deal with it he just Worship kept going on, this lady just kept slithering like a snake out in the front of the the uh church, foaming at the mouth. So he thought, well, certainly the the ushers are not going to tolerate this, the ushers are going to come and usher her out of here. Ushers just sat right where they are, they saw what was going on, but it did absolutely nothing to stop it. It seemed like, to him like was, this had occurred before. And it was just either allowed, or um, they tried to deal with it, maybe failed, uh, they, he didn't know what, but he said... Um, I said, I can't preach with that going on. He said, God, you're going to have to do something about it. And God said, I'm not doing anything about it. You do. Me? I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And so he's having this conversation with God while the worship service is going on. <laughs> that can affect you getting getting into the spirit, I suppose. <laughs> So he's having this conversation. He has no idea how to deal with this, what to do with it. Now I'm surprised. I was surprised at that statement of his because he traveled with Howard Carter, and I was pretty sure Howard Carter had, had seen some things like this. But uh, I certainly take him at his word that he had not seen this before. And so he um, he came up. He was getting ready to preach. He said that the pastor came up to introduce him. He said, "Well, surely the pastor will. He won't tolerate this going on." And the pastor tolerated it just fine. And he just went on just like nothing was happening and introduced him. And so as he came up to the, to the podium, he said, it's just like, I didn't know what to do, but he said, it was just like something grabbed hold of his spirit and it rose up on the inside of him. And he said, in the name of Jesus, sit up. And so she sat up in the chair. The foam, the foam disappeared and she sat there in the chair. He said, it looked like a zombie still, just sat, sat there in the chair like a zombie, stared straight ahead. And he's, so he went on and he started preaching his message and he said, he's having this conversation with God. You ever have a conversation with God while you're talking with somebody else? And this is what he's doing. He's preaching and he's having a conversation with God. And he says, God, no one's going to get saved unless we deal with this. We got to do something with it. And so, uh, he went on and he preached the, the whole message. And at the end of it, he went over here, over to the, to the woman and he said, in the name of Jesus, and he cast the spirit out of her. And he said that woman threw herself down on the ground, flopped around, and then became almost, I think he said in this, this particular story, I think this is the one, he, uh, he said became almost lifeless. And then they went over and they, they, they helped her up and they sat her down in a chair and all of a sudden the, the zombie look was gone. And her eyes were full of life again. And she praised God and she got saved right there. And when she got saved, the whole, not the whole church, but a whole bunch of the church came on down to the altar to get saved. <laughs> now he's got some, that's, that's one of the milder stories that he has of, as far as the demon spirits that he faced in there. He's got stories that will rival Jesus with the demoniac in the tombs. As far as they had media coverage, the entire country knew—not just the region. The entire country knew of two in particular demon-possessed cases, and he he came in to deal with it. And some it, stuff happened with those. Oh, I'll tell you what—that was—that was something. You ever want to read up on that sort of stuff? He is—he um, is quite the—he has quite the stories, Brother Lester Sumrall. He's of course with the Lord right now, but. Incredible things that that he left. So he says here with this one. He said, uh, "Bring him here to me." Well, uh, verse um, seventeen. Then one of the crowd answered and said, "Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit." So this spirit, when it was either when it was on him or all the time, he would keep this boy from speaking. So he was mute. And whenever or wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Now, that story, I tell you, has every one of those factors going on, except I don't remember him saying that she was gnashing her teeth. I'm not sure if I would know what gnashing your teeth is. I can sort of, you know, think about it. Well, maybe it's this, but um, all the rest of those things happen with this woman that Brother Lester Summerall dealt with. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So do you not get from that that Jesus says that he expected his disciples to take care of the situation? Now it would seem that the disciples expected to, too, because when the boy was brought to them, they did immediately go in there to cast the spirit out. We find that out later on in the story. And Jesus had commissioned them before. He said, Go into, go, he sent them out two by twos. And he said, Go and cast out spirits in my name. Heal the sick. Give them a list of things to do. And when they came back, you remember what the twelve said to him? Remember, he sent out the seven, he also sent the twelve. But when the twelve came back, he said, Master, even the demons are subject to our to your name. Wow. So they had gone out, they had seen demon spirits, they had cast them out, and they left. So when they come up to this one, they're expecting this to be the same way as the others. Wouldn't you, if you have, have been out, and you were, you were casting out spirits out of people, and they left, wouldn't you expect it to keep on going? Now that first time that Jesus sent them out, they apparently didn't have any failures. Now the reason you know that is because when they came to Jesus, they didn't say, hey, you know what, a whole mess of demon spirits went out, but there was a couple, and we couldn't seem to get them. I thought they would have talked to Jesus about that, but they didn't. They said, even the demon spirits are subject to us through your name. So it would seem that they've had experience. We know they had that one time, but it would surely seem that they had other times as well that this was going on. It may even be the case that when Jesus would have all those people, uh, thousands of people there for the meetings, he didn't pray over each one of them, that he and the disciples were also praying over them. If he had sent them out to minister, I don't see why he would not have the minister there. And so they were probably there ministering, casting out demons, doing different things. So they probably got pretty used to this. They came to this one though. It didn't seem to work. So I spoke to your disciples, verse 18, that they should cast it out, but they could not. So they realized there was a spirit behind it and they went to cast it out, but it didn't go. So again, he says, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Well, he probably saw Jesus, recognized that, and decided to put on a, a bit of a show. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, can you imagine having a child who's not only demon-possessed, that he gets thrown down, foams at the mouth, I mean, I'm sure this has happened at some inopportune times. You have a guest, a house full of guests, and here comes son, thrown down, foaming at the mouth, doing whatever it is that he's doing. That that'll cause a scene. That could probably interrupt the dinner, or whatever it is that you have. Maybe you're going out to a place. Maybe you went out to the synagogue, and here he goes. So it's probably happened enough time. But can you imagine not just the embarrassment? But as you're going along and you're near a body of water and this spirit gets a hold of him and throws him into there to try and destroy him. And if you, parents, or whoever it was who was near him, didn't, weren't around and weren't out there to jump in the water and grab him and pull him out, he would have died. Or what about the fire? You would think that even if you pulled him out and saved his life, he got burned. This would cause you great distress. And they're keeping it short here. I'm sure he can go on for a lot of stories because this has been going on since he was a young child. Verse um, 23. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So this guy understood. I've got my... I got my boundaries over here. This is where I know my faith is, uh, and this is where I know it's not. In this particular situation, there's a little bit in here in the area I believe, and there's a little bit here in the area I don't believe. So, I believe with you here, but the part that's over here, and we don't know what part that, that was, but he said, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Now understand this, he's not saying, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. The rebuke is simply classifying what it is that he did. What he was saying was, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Now he didn't say spirits. So this apparently is not a multiple spirit Situation is just one. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. So look at this. You have this situation. The boy's got a demon spirit. They bring him to the disciples because Jesus is not here. He's up on the mountain of transfiguration. It took a little while to get up the mountain. Probably took a little while to get back down the mountain. And then they were up there for for a little bit. So while all that is going on, this situation is happening down here. In this particular one, it seems like there was more visual stuff going on for the disciples than they had seen before. It's one thing to go over and to cast out a demon spirit out of someone. It's another thing when that demon spirit starts foaming at the mouth, thrashing him onto the, onto the ground so that he looks like he might get hurt. Would that that hinder you? Would that have an effect upon you? If you came up, and as you are casting this thing out, it seems like he's getting worse. And he's getting hurt. This spirit has has tried to hurt him before. There's no sense why he wouldn't try and hurt hurt him here. In fact, when Jesus got done with him, we see the visual that he gave there. He cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. So, The convulsions that were going on before, these are greater. And then he came out of him. So that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. So there was a whole lot going on in the physical area. The things that you see, there's a whole lot happening here that was playing with the disciples. More than happened before. When they cast out demons before, I mean, they maybe screamed a little bit, cried out a little bit. But we didn't see any of this nonsense of being thrown on the ground and convulsions that were great convulsions and the foaming at the mouth maybe. They didn't see that. Whatever it was, they saw something that, that put this into another league with them. Oh, wow, man, this is... Wow, well, I don't know if we can do this. This is This is some kind of demon possession. We haven't seen stuff like this since the demoniac guy. And that was that was one nasty situation there. Wow. And so somehow they went over there and they did just like they had in the name of Jesus come out of him and then instead of responding the way that the ones before had, he didn't respond at all. Maybe he just stood there and just stared at him, gave him a death stare. I don't know. And then when he said in the name of Jesus come out of him, maybe that's when we see the convulsion start throwing him down on the ground. Foaming at the mouth. They may have even said it some more times. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. But then after a while, all this stuff is going on. They begin to think, maybe they even begin to say to each other, it doesn't seem to be working. What are we doing wrong? And they begin to back out. They They were in the area of faith when they started. But because of what was going on visually, they moved into an area of doubt. I'm not sure if this is going to work. Now, the reason that you know that is because Jesus likes faith, doesn't like doubt. When he comes upon the scene, what's he say? Oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I endure you? He's not too happy. He's not seeing the faith here that he wants to see. He's not seeing all that went on between the disciples and this boy. What he is seeing is the situation is here now and he realizes there's no faith. There's no faith in these disciples. Remember at the on the boat? Where's your faith? He says another time, how is it you have no faith? He can tell when faith has left the building. It's gone. And its place is doubt. And he became as dead. If it's one of us, we're thinking, man, I killed him. Oh, and we may be thinking some doubts on our own side, but Jesus doesn't. He says, uh uh-uh, no, he's not dead. He goes over there, grabs him by the hand, pulls him up. See, because he, he never went into the area of doubt. He stayed in the area of faith. Somehow his disciples, they moved over into the area of doubt. Verse 28. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not cast it out? So obviously they were trying to cast it out, but they couldn't do it by their own, by their own words. We couldn't cast out that demon spirit. So he said to them, this kind can come out only by, uh, by nothing but prayer and fasting. And so, because of those verses, we have come up with prayer and fasting demons. But there is nowhere in the Word of God that would support that. It's just taking this, this, this verse and not understanding it in light of the rest of the Scripture and coming up with those prayer and fasting demons. If there are prayer and fasting demons, if this particular demon is a prayer and fasting demon, when was Jesus praying and fasting? Did he not, was he not rebuked by the disciples? Our disciples, or John's disciples fast, fasted. We fast. Why is it that your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, when you have the bridegroom with you, you don't fast. You feast. But when the bridegroom is gone, then it's the time of fasting. He said the time will come when the bridegroom will be removed, and then they will fast. So Jesus is not expecting them to fast if he said that about them. If he's expecting them to cast out the demon and if the demon is a prayer and fasting demon but he doesn't expect them to fast isn't that unreasonable? To be expecting the disciples to cast out a prayer and fasting demon when he won't let them pray and fast because the bridegroom is there. But Jesus seemed to be able to to take care of it. So in order to understand this, we have to go to the other areas where this is talked about. And over Matthew chapter 17, we're not going to read the whole story. We're going to read the part where the disciples came to him at the end. Verse 19. Matthew 17, verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, so we got all the rest of the crowd out of the way. We want to just ask you this because maybe we're a little bit embarrassed about this or we just want your undivided attention, whatever it might be. Why could we Not cast it out. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Huh. They asked him a straight up question. Why could we not cast it out? What's the answer? Because you didn't pray and fast? No, he said, because of your unbelief. There's your answer. Well, how come Mark has the other part? You'll see. So Jesus said to them because of your unbelief for surely I say to you if you have faith as a mustard seed there's our mustard seed faith again. If you have faith as a mustard seed you will say that a mountain we're not in a we're not in the mulberry trees now we're in the mountains. You will say that this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you for you. However this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I want to read this thing again to you real, real slow. We saw the end part here. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So there we have the, the statement made in Mark. But we have more verses here we can understand it in the context of the better. Why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Verse 20. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say that this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing Will be impossible to you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now we we have come up with this thing of prayer and fasting demons and casting out. One of the reasons is well, it's this. Um, I think I was originally going to put these in. Yeah, I think I did. I think, I did, I think I just left you like a little blank space in there. Didn't have enough room on the outline to to fill this out. But Jesus' ans- answers points out this. First off. The problem was unbelief. That's the first thing. So Jesus answered by pointing to, first off, unbelief. There was unbelief present with them. Secondly, that there are different kinds, different kinds of something. He said, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So the first thing he points out is their unbelief. The second thing he points out is that there are different kinds. The third is prayer and fasting. So those are our three things we deal with in the answer that Jesus gave. So again, there are no prayer and fasting demons. They do not exist. Prayer prayer and fasting does not chase out demons. The name of Jesus chases out demons. It's just like the devil to try and corrupt things and get something else in there. All you need is the name of Jesus. The devil's always trying to corrupt us. He's got that movement going on that you had to ask the thing's name. And you got to have the name of the demon spirit in order to cast it out. No, you don't. You just need the name of Jesus. We don't care what that demon spirit's name is. People have pointed out, it's probably going to lie to you anyway. When Jesus said, or when they asked Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not cast it out? It is the Greek word ekbalo. Ekbalo is a compound word. Ek means out. Balo means to throw. That's where we get the the translation, to cast out. Why could we not cast it out? Why could we not ek balo? When you are using the term ek balo, you are taking someone who is taking an object and throwing the object. Ek balo, to throw it out, to cast it out. If you were in a restaurant and you were acting up and the uh, uh, security, whoever it was, came over and they picked you up and they cast you out of the restaurant, they would be throwing you out of the restaurant. You are not throwing yourself out. They are throwing you out. And they they uh, getting rid of you that way. That's what this word is. Why could we not... Ek balo. Why could we not cast or throw it out? Now, some of the reasons that the confusion comes in is that they say, why could we not cast it out? And then Jesus says, this kind comes out or is cast out only by prayer and fasting. And it seems to be the same word, but it's not. We've seen ek balo repeated two different times here to cast something out. But here, when Jesus says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Some translations had put it, some, uh, this kind does not, is not cast out. That would be a bad translation. The proper translation is the way the King James has, the New King James has it here. I'm not sure what the King James says. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That is a proper translation of what we have. Because the Greek word we have, Ek porreomai. Not ek balo. Ek is the only thing that is similar to these, to these words here. Ek means to go out. When you combine ek and porreomai with these two together, you get to go forth, go out, depart. It basically means to have a journey out to go somewhere. If you are going to, if you said this morning, I'm going to get up And I am going to take the trash out. You would use the word ekbalo. Because you are going to take the trash. You are going to act upon the trash. And you're going to carry the trash out. And put the trash in the trash receptacle. If you say, I am going to church this morning. You are saying that you are going to go out on a journey. And you're going to take yourself into your car. And drive on down the path. And you are going to do this to yourself. That is something that you would do. The first one, ekbalo, involves someone doing the casting. The second, I myself do the action. I am taking myself on a journey out. We'll go back to the restaurant again. If I am obnoxious and rude and I am not willing to leave... And they had to take me by force and grab me by the belt and the collar and just throw me on it. I'm not doing it myself. Someone is doing it to me. I am being Ekbalo. Someone is casting me out of the restaurant. But if they came to me and said, sir, we would prefer that you would leave. Fine. And I walk out of the restaurant. I am no longer Ekbalo. I have changed it because I am doing the journey myself. That's the difference between these two words. And so what he's saying here is, in this teaching that Jesus gives us, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Ek poréomai. To go forth, to go out, or to depart. I'll give you some examples on this. This, uh, ek poréomai. When it talks about the people, they went out to Jesus. How many times you read the scriptures, they went out to Jesus? They heard that Jesus was there, and they went out to Jesus. That's not ekbalo. That is, I'm carrying myself there. That's ekpareomai. I am going to Jesus. I'm going to take myself and carry myself over there. No one's doing it for me. I'm doing it myself. I'm going to go forth and do that. When it talks about what comes out of your mouth... It's not ekbalo. These words are being cast out of your mouth by some unknown force. No, I am doing this. I am I am saying these words out of my mouth. And when it talks about that, what comes out of a man man's mouth is what uh, what comes out of a man is what uh, 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 corrupts him. I, f- I forget the word. It went right out of my head. Um, that's what makes you un- unpure. It's what comes out of a man. Well, that's not some, that's not ekbalo. That's ekporeomai. Because I am bringing these things myself. I am bringing these things out of myself and speaking them or doing them. No one else is doing it for me. Ekbalo means somebody else is doing it. So if you're going to come over and cast out a demon, that demon is not walking out of that body. That boy is not walking somewhere either. This person who's ministering, whether it's Jesus or one of the disciples, they come up, And they're going to ekbalo. They're going to grab hold of that demon spirit, so to speak. And cast it out through the name of Jesus. They're acting upon the demon spirit. But we don't use that word here. We've already used ekbalo several times. But when Jesus says, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. It's not ekbalo anymore. It's ekporeomai. Which means, whatever it is that is leaving is leaving because of the efforts of the person who has it. So he says here, let's read this again. Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say that this mountain move and be from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. The kind that he's talking about is the unbelief. Because the problem, because of your unbelief, that is what hindered them from casting out this demon, from bollowing this this demon. If you wanted to ekballo other, other demons, apparently they didn't give up as much of a fight. They didn't have as much of a show. Whatever it was that put these guys from a place of faith into a place of doubt. Haven't you ever been there? You approach the situation a financial situation, a job situation, a health situation, you went out there all in faith. I'm ready to take this thing on. I'm ready to see this thing go. I'm ready to ekbalo whatever I need to ekbalo. I'm going to cast that thing out. That sickness and disease is not going to be here in my body. That fear, not going to be here in my body. Whatever it is, you're ready to ekbalo some stuff, right? And then you go up there and you're ready to ekbalo. You're ready to cast that thing out and all of a sudden it puts up a fight. What kind of fight is this is doing here? I'm not used to this. It's fighting back. And you come at it again and you ek follow it again and it puts up puts some more some more fight. And it's got a show now. Now we got the frothing in the mouth, throwing down the body, all this extra sort of stuff. And all of a sudden you think, what is this? How did we get to this place? I don't understand. And of course the enemy is whispering in your ear the whole time. You do not have authority over this demon spirit. You do not have authority over this financial situation. You do not have authority over this sickness or disease. No, this sickness or disease is greater than what you have. You need to cower in fear. You need to pull back. And all of a sudden, I've got Jesus' command. Go and cast out the demon spirits. I'm out here, I'm casting out the demon spirit. It's not going. I've done this before, but now it's not working. And I did every kind of ekballo I knew to do. And it's not ekballoing. It's not being cast out. But Jesus doesn't say you have to cast out the unbelief. He says you have to poreomai. You've got to get that thing. It's, it's part of you. You've got to take a journey and go in a place to get rid of it. This is something that you have to do. No one else can come over and cast that unbelief out of you. You have to deal with it. You're going to do something. He says, however, this kind does not go out. The path to get rid of this kind of unbelief is through prayer and fasting. Not the demon, the unbelief. If Jesus was dealing with unbelief, he may have had to pray and fast. But Jesus doesn't deal with unbelief he believes what the Father says. Whenever the Father says to do something, He goes out and He does it. He'll speak to the wind. Now, that's no problem. He'll speak to the dead bodies. Yeah, that's no problem. God told me to speak to that dead body. Raise it up. He wasn't dealing with, with all that. But the disciples, they ran into some things where it caused some doubt. And so He says, this kind there's different kinds of unbelief. Now for that, on over to, if you, or just, just listen, whichever that you, that you want to do. Mark 11, 22 and 23. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. You all know that verse pretty well. Margin, of course, says, have the faith of God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt what? In his heart. So apparently, one of the kinds of unbelief there is, is unbelief in the heart. He said, does not doubt in his heart. Why does he specifically say in the heart? Because you can doubt something in your head, but not in your heart. Brother Hagen used to teach us about that. He said, you can have doubts in your head, just don't don't let them get in your heart. Stay believing. But see, the enemy wants you to think if you have doubts in your head, that's doubts in your heart. That's That's not the case. You may have doubts floating around in your head, but down in your spirit, I'm hanging on to what God said. I'm believing. Yeah, but you see those doubts in your head, and we think, oh, I've got doubts. I guess this isn't going to work for me. He doesn't say, doesn't have doubt, period. He says, don't have doubt in your heart. That's in your spirit. For surely I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea does not doubt in his heart but believes that those, thing, those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. So I need to speak those things out and not doubt in my heart. So what happened with the disciples is they spoke what Jesus said in the name of Jesus. They saw stuff going on Maybe they entertained some doubts in the heart, or the head, but eventually it got down into the heart and they said, this, this isn't working. This is, this is not working. And so they pulled back. And the demon spirit didn't go. But when Jesus came along, that demon spirit couldn't pull Jesus into a place of doubt. Now I put this in your outline for you. We are most susceptible to doubt and unbelief when our direction starts in our minds, and guides our spirit. That's when we are most susceptible. When our direction starts in our minds and guides our spirit. What should happen is down in your spirit, you get guided. That's why we went all the way back to verse 1. Because you see, Jesus spoke to their, He's speaking to their spirits. He's not trying to speak to their heads, He's trying to speak to the spirit. Some of you will not die until you see the kingdom of heaven. And they began to ponder that, ponder that. Now, I don't know if the reason he took the three is because he spoke it to the twelve and those were the three who meditated on it properly. I don't know. We have to wait till we get to heaven to find out why those three in particular were set aside. But you see, he spoke it to all of them. If he only wanted James, the Peter, James, and John, couldn't he just have pulled them aside and spoke it directly to them? But he didn't do that. He spoke it to all of them. So it may be they did something. They got themselves in that place. But again, I'll repeat this for you. We are most susceptible to doubt and unbelief. This is talking about the the wrong kind of doubt and unbelief, the kind that gets in your spirit. When our direction starts in our minds and guides our spirit. So I, I, I got it up here. And now I'm trying to lead my spirit man with what I know in my head. And that's not how it's going to work. Here's a case of that. Remember in in the book of Acts, the seven sons of Sceva? They got it in their head. This is the formula. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demon spirit saw that. And they understood. This is head. This is just the head stuff, not the spirit stuff. But with Jesus, when he comes on the scene, it's down in his spirit. He's disengaged his mind. I don't care what it is that you show me. Down in my spirit. This is what it's telling me. And this is the kind of convincing we have to get. I can become so convinced down in my spirit. God spoke this to me and said, I would have this. I would do this. This would happen to me. God spoke that down in my spirit. I know it down in my spirit. This is where He said it to me. And I'm God, I'm letting my direction come from my spirit, not my head. Now, when you have that set. The enemy tries to bring things into your into your head. You feel that pain? It's coming back. He's trying to get you dis- distracted by. it. He's trying to get your mind to take over the leadership in the direction of your faith. If you do that, you have doubts. But keep feeding your spirit. I put this in your outline too. We are least susceptible when our direction starts in our spirit and guides our mind. That's when we are least susceptible. Let it start in your spirit and guide your mind. Now some of the mental actions and decisions that we have, the, the impulse of my brain, my mind or my flesh will tell me to eat, tells me to drink, tells me to breathe, tells me to walk, tells me to see. You know, your brain is always telling you to breathe. I've heard people who go on life support when they pull them off, one of the most difficult things is, is this, will the body take over and tell the body, or will the, will the mind take over, the brain take over, and tell the body to breathe? Because it hasn't had to do that. You disengaged it. And so that's one of the more difficult things they have for, for that. But your mind, your brain, your flesh, is going to try and get you to say, you need to eat, in our, in our body, in our mind telling us, sometimes it's our body. Sometimes our body says, I am hungry. That's my body telling me I need to, I need to eat something. But how many times have you had your mind tell you that? I'm bored. Right? I'm bored. What should we do? Oh, I'll eat something. That's your mind telling you to eat, not your body. Your body's not saying I'm hungry. It's your mind telling you to, to do that. So your mind can tell you some things, your, your body can tell you some things. Your flesh can tell you some stuff. You may be walking on by the pizza place. You've already had lunch. And then you smell that pizza steak. Or you smell whatever it might be that's coming from, ooh, ooh, ooh. And now we've awakened the flesh. And the flesh says, I want some. Right? So we can have these different voices come in and they begin to lead us. They can begin to direct us. Mental actions and decisions are based on input received from the five senses and our imagination. They are from the five senses, what you smell, what you hear, what you touch, what you taste, so forth, and your imagination. This is where they, they, they can feed these things. I can, give, I can think, imagine food. I can think, imagine Flesh things. So the the actions I take, or the the actions I do, are are based on understanding I take from what is received. So I take the messages from the five senses. I take the message from the imagination. And I, I process it. I think on it. And I take from that what I want to do. I am smelling pizza. You know what? I could really go for some pizza right now. And I begin to lead myself in a direction for the pizza. Because that's what I, that's what I want to do. So my actions are based on the understanding I take from what is received. Now spiritual actions and decisions, the impulse of my spirit, this is what's speaking. It tells you, the impulse of your spirit is what tells you to pray. Your flesh doesn't tell you to pray. The impulse of your spirit tells you to worship. Your flesh doesn't tell you to worship. The impulse of your spirit tells you to love. The impulse of your flesh tells you to be selfish. But the impulse of your spirit tells you to love. The impulse of your spirit tells you to study the word. The impulse of your spirit tells you to act on that word. Those are impulses from your spirit, not your flesh, not your mind, not your body. Your spirit will feed you those things. So this is the voice of the spirit, this is the voice of the flesh. We have both of these voices coming in and getting us. The decisions of the Spirit are based on the input it receives from revelation and illumination. When God gives me revelation of His Word, when God illuminates my path through His Word, this is what I make decisions off of. Revelation. God has told me this about my life. God has instructed me to go out there and to do these things. And so I step out and I begin to do these things because of the revelation that God gave me. God has said, do this Revelation in my spirit. I can't go on somebody else's revelation. I go on my revelation. God has revealed this to me. I am to do this. So I go and I do it. Based on that revelation. These actions are produced based on the understanding I am given from what is received. You see, in the flesh, I take it. I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that. I take whatever I want. But here in this area, it's given to me. God gives me understanding. God gives me revelation. God spoke to my spirit. He illuminated my way. It was given to me. I receive it. But it's different from the flesh. The flesh, I just take it. You ever hear people in the Christian circle? Well, I don't think that's the flesh talking. Why? Because I'm doing the thinking. Well, I don't think you ought to do that. I don't think that ought to go on. See, that's my flesh talking. That's my mind talking. I wasn't given that. I'm taking it. I don't think they ought to do that. But when God gives me revelation, my, my language changes. God told me to. God spoke to me. God said, this is why Jesus, when he talks about his actions, he says, I only do what I see the Father do, and I only say what I hear the Father say. That's why that's so important. He gets that revelation in the spirit, and then he goes and he proceeds forth from that. It's given to him. Too many people are taking things. Well, I I don't think that ought to go. I don't think that's right. They're not listening to the voice of the spirit and receiving revelation that way. Give you a couple of examples here. They're not in your outline, but you can write them in there if you want to. Abraham going to Egypt. Did he get that by revelation? Did God speak to his spirit? Hey, you made it to the promised land. Now leave. (laughs) No, he took for that. He, He looked at the things he saw. There's no food here. They're in a famine. I know what I'll do. I'll go down to Egypt. He took his own meaning from it. It wasn't given to him. That's what he did. Moses, he pronounced himself a failure, didn't he? He saw himself as a failure. Well, God told me to do this. I was given that revelation. I am the deliverer. I stepped out, but I failed. Therefore, I am a failure. And he pronounced himself a failure and walked away from it. So he had, he started out right in the area of revelation, but he decided to come up with his own actions. Well, I see this injustice going on over here. I think I ought to do something about it. And he went over and he killed the guy. So our boundaries are to stay in faith and out of doubt. That's what we got to do. If it's of God, it is of God because it's, it comes from His Spirit. When something comes from God, it, it's of God because it comes from His Spirit. Not because it makes sense or it doesn't make sense to my mind. I wrote it in there one way, but actually both ways are correct. If you ever heard somebody say, well, it must be God because it doesn't make sense to me. Well, there's a whole lot of things that don't make sense to you. It doesn't mean that it's God. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it's God. And just because it makes sense to you doesn't mean it's God. You've got to disengage that part of your brain. And just listen, what does God tell me to do and engage your spirit on the things that God tells you to do? Instead, we take understanding from the things that are going on around us. Well, I guess I'm going to just do this. So he says here at the end, Well, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Speaking about this kind of doubt. This is a kind of doubt that is invisible to most of us. How do you know that? If the disciples knew that doubt and unbelief was their problem, would they have bothered to ask Jesus? If I know I have doubt present in me, Do I wonder? How many times has Jesus exhorted them on the fact that they were not in faith and they were in doubt? Or where was their faith? Or how is it that you doubt? How many times has he drilled this into them? I think the first thing you're going to be checking is, are we in doubt? Man, I don't think so. I mean, we've done this before. We know how this works. How is it that we couldn't get this done? So apparently there was a doubt in them that they could not pick up on. He said this kind, see there's certain kinds, this particular kind, you you may not even know that it's there, but it's present in you. And maybe it didn't surface on some of the other demon spirits that they saw, but it sure surfaced on this one. And they didn't even know it. He said this kind comes out. Ekporeomai, not ekbalo. This kind comes out. Only by prayer and fasting somehow prayer and fasting will change us to get us to be more spiritually sensitive and less responsive to our flesh and our mind this is what fasting is to do fasting is to take you and transform you from a flesh controlled creature who can doubt at the drop of a head and not even know it think you're in faith But Jesus looks on us because of your unbelief. I mean, Jesus doesn't struggle with this question at all. Man, we were over there laboring. We were doing all the things we know to do. How come we couldn't cast it out? We did the same things. We said the same things you did. How come we couldn't cast it out? Jesus says, because of your unbelief. He just rolls it right out there. Duh. I mean, come on. That's what the problem was. And they didn't know it. Somehow, prayer and fasting is able to change you and take some of those areas in your life that God has said, this is your border. This is the area I want you to operate in. And so far, you've been saying, well, I'm operating in this area. but I'm not so sure about this one over here. I got some doubt and unbelief about this one over here. I'm kind of afraid to enter into this area over here. Um, I know God has said this, but I like this area here. This one's comfortable. I can do this one. But, I mean, demon spirits frothing at the mouth, convulsion. Let's stay over here with the nicer ones. I'll be be expert on this. But God didn't say that. He gave you the borders. Here they are. I need you to go throughout the land. I need you to, he told the, the people in Israel, when you get into the land, go throughout it. I want you to get to the north, the south, the east, the west. I want you to cover the whole thing. I want you to go into all the cities, all the mountains, all the valleys. I want you to take the whole thing. Don't let any of it go. What'd they do? They got in there and they said, I don't, that area over there, those guys are pretty tough. We're going to let them go. We're going to let them be. So there's a, a couple of our tribes that God says that they were the intruders on the land. They had done so little to, to take it over. But you see, God has given you territory. He's given you boundaries. Sometimes you look at the boundaries and say, well, it's look at all the things I can't do. God says, look, I've given you all this territory. Go out and subdue it. Enjoy it. Walk in it. Enjoy the fruit of that land. Go. I want you to have all of it. And the enemy has got us into fear and that we're just over in this one little corner of the area that God's given us. And what Jesus has unloaded for them here is If you want to get rid of that last bit of unbelief, that bit of unbelief that you can't even always tell is working in your life, the way that you do it is through prayer and fasting. If you have places in your life, things in your life that you have not been able to overcome, prayer victories seem to be escaping you. This is what he's telling you. This is how you get out of it. Through prayer and fasting. And I thank the Lord that there's places in the Word of God that teach us what prayer and fasting is. Because he didn't just say fasting. If I could have victory over the flesh simply by fasting, there'd be a lot more people walking in victory. There's a spiritual side to it and there's a physical side to it. And you have to embrace both the physical and the spiritual in order to get the victory that you want. Just like a battery has a positive and a negative end. If you don't have both ends connected, you're not going to get the power. Just one connection is not going to do it. You've got to have both ends connected. You've got to have the prayer and you got to have the fasting. You've got to have the physical and you got to have the spiritual. And the Word of God will teach us how to do it. And so I don't know if it's one week, two weeks, however long it takes us, we're going we're to spend some time. Because I want you to see how to take the boundaries that God has given you and enjoy them. And walk out of them. And don't ever think that Well, this is an area I know God wants me to walk in. I know God wants me to cast out demon spirits like this that throw people in the fire and throw people in the water and or whatever it might be. For the disciples, this this was it. I know Jesus wants us to do that. Wow, we weren't expecting to see this. And they pulled back. Whatever it was that they saw, it put them in the place of unbelief. We don't need to be in that place of unbelief because this kind does not have to stay with us. This kind does come out And there is a way to get it out. That way is through prayer and fasting. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. That you have called us to do things. You have given us boundaries, places that we're to operate. And you've given us the power to operate in those areas. I thank you that whatever it is that we believe whatever it is that we have faith for and faith only comes to the things that you promised and the things that you said not the things that we dream up we have faith for the things that you say just as we build up our faith the enemy wants to try and do some things to build up our doubt but I thank you for the word of God that helps us to see what we need to do to overcome the doubts that have risen up in our life some of those doubts we don't even recognize that they're there I've just come into the place I tried to do this like I did before and it didn't work sometimes that caused us to just pull back completely to we're not even pursuing that anymore because we failed because we hit a failure in it and obviously I'm missing something I don't know something. But Father, you're here to enlighten us and to help us. I thank you for it. Thank you that you are ministering to people right now. If there's an area in your life, just like the disciples, they cast out demons before and they had gone. but now they got one that won't go that caused unbelief in their life. You've got something in your life you've been facing. you face faced situations like that before and you've had the victory, but this one seems to be getting you. Maybe it's a bigger financial need. Maybe it's a different kind of job. Maybe it's something in your health. Whatever it might be, your faith is bigger and whatever it is that you face. For Jesus said if you believe nothing shall be impossible to you. Oh Father, we have sometimes accepted a life that is filled with impossibilities. We haven't walked in that verse of scripture that says nothing shall be impossible to you. Thank you that you help us to learn how that applies into our life. That even if we have a mountain that's in our way, if we have faith from the Word of God to believe that mountain needs to move, that mountain will move. But We need to take the impulse from the Word of God. Not from the things in our flesh, nothing from the things in our mind, the things from our spirit. So I thank you, Father, that you help us to develop that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Marguerite.
1: Good morning, everyone. Um, We're so grateful to be before you and to greet you in the name of the Lord. We thank God for this day that He has given us. And I want to just, uh, give a shout out to all of those who are watching online that, uh, we thank God for each and every one of you. And, uh, those, uh, that we are able to be here, we just thank God that we can be together as a family. And I want to say, uh, to all, uh, happy Mother's Day to each and every one and there are some of us here that uh, this is the first uh, Mother's Day that our, our moms are uh, with Jesus mm-hmm. and um, we read uh, in our in some of my prayer time, I read a scripture that um, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, let not your heart be troubled You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so um, we know that our moms are with the Lord, and that to me is a very comforting feeling. Um, As I got up this morning and I said, you know, uh, good morning, mom, and um, happy Mother's Day. Um, I find myself more and more, instead of looking around places that I remember seeing her, I say, good morning, mom, and I look toward heaven because I know she's with the Father. And that brings me great joy. So I hope that brings some joy to those of you who are in that same situation that we know where our moms are. And we rejoice in that. We thank God for it. Um, we do have uh, a praise report this morning from uh Rashawn, And she's saying that, um, let me get it here. She was dealing with a work situation that got her down a little bit. And she was anxious. There were two things that were coming to her, though. One was the constant teaching on speaking to the mountain and the scripture that says, ask and you shall receive, uh, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. And on Friday, um, her day didn't start out well. Uh, on, although on several occasions she express, expressed her concerns about the lack of knowledge uh, that she had on this new project, she wasn't being heard. Then later that afternoon, she reached out to uh, who she knew could provide some assistance and got the help. The anxiety that she was feeling most of the day was gone because she asked for help. So we know that we can go to the Father and ask him and receive. And so that's a praise report that um, each of us can uh, just kind of, Uh, enjoy and, uh, delight in because we know that when we come to the Father, that He will always be there for us. Um, as you go through the rest of your day, I know we're not able to, um, physically be together, but we can, you know, give a call. We can, um, you know, if we have Skype or something like that, we can give a smile even by way of the internet, but, we can just let um those around us know that we love them and that's what I say to you today. We love you and we will be so grateful when we can all be back um, together worshiping. But until that time we can just reach out to each other by phone and um just different ways to let uh each of us know that we're loved, we love each other and that we are pulling together. We are a family. Distance does 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 not Separate the fact that we are a family and that we love each other, express that in any way that you can and uh we are actually coming up with of uh, creative ways of you know um expressing that same f- fact um and I had one other thing to say, two other praise reports uh let's see praise is saying that she's thanking God for. Finishing her sophomore year. And, uh, we're worshiping God and thanking Him for that. That is a blessing because, and I'm thinking, my goodness, uh, she just had started, uh, school and this is already her sophomore year. And in the, the situation environment that we find ourselves in to be able to say that she was able to finish, that is quite a blessing. So, uh, we thank God for that. Um, Sister Ethel was saying she uh, thanks God for the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us in all truth. She has struggled with what uh, her mind had been trying to tell her. But because of uh, what the Spirit has brought back to her, she's been able uh, to be victorious over her mind. So, and that goes right along with what pastor was, uh, teaching on today that as we are led by the spirit, the spirit, um, is the one that needs to lead us and not our mind. So we're just so grateful that God's word is just always, it's intertwined in everything that we say and we do, as long as we allow that to be the case. So go today and just enjoy your day. And, uh, it's a beautiful day outside. Just, um, worship the Lord and we will be together soon as a family. So we thank God for that.